This podcast was recorded on the 23rd of October, 2023. Egypt found itself in a very critical position in the region. It is at the center of an escalating Middle Eastern conflict, as the country borders both Israel and the Gaza Strip. This is a situation right now. From one side, Egypt is an option for Gazans to escape from the relentless shelling of the Strip. And from the other side, it is an avenue to allow the much-needed aid to get to the injured and sick. But for Egyptians, they find themselves stuck between a rock and a hard place. Should it offer civilians from Gaza a hand and a safe haven in its territory and welcome them as refugees? Or shut its border and leave 2.3 million people on the devastating receiving end of Israel's wrath? The first option would help what Cairo sees as a dangerous plot to create an alternative homeland for the Palestinians in Egypt's sparsely populated Sinai Peninsula, rather than an independent state in Gaza and the West Bank, which is a long-standing demand by the Palestinians and Arabs that has been ignored by Israel. The second choice facing Egypt means, quite simply, many more Palestinian deaths, a burden that Egypt will be loath to shoulder. For people outside the Middle East region, this may seem like an easy choice. What path will Egypt take and what would be the implications of each choice? This is Beyond the Headlines and I'm Ismail Nahar and in today's episode, we're discussing the perilous predicament that Egypt finds itself in. While you've been following the news on the Israel-Gaza war, you might have heard about the Rafah crossing a lot. Rafah is the only border crossing between Egypt and Gaza. The crossing is controlled by Egypt, and it is the only exit from Gaza not controlled by Israel. Egyptian authorities have insisted the border is technically open, despite no Gazans being able to leave the enclave, and limited aid entering Gaza via the Rafah crossing since the outbreak of the war. But why has Egypt been reluctant to open its borders fully for the Palestinians of Gaza? What are the deep-seated reasons behind this reluctance, and how might the stance potentially draw the country further into the conflict? To understand more about the Rafah crossing and Egypt's role in the conflict, we're joined today by the National's Cairo correspondent, Hamza Hindawi. Welcome, Hamza. So yes, Hamza, what's the latest situation on the Rafah crossing? The first convoy, as we know now, um, crossed on Saturday, I believe, and then on, since Sunday there was a second convoy. We're hearing reports of a third convoy going on on Monday. So can you walk us through um, what happened over the weekend? Well, I mean, the first convoy, as you know, went through on Saturday. It was made up of 20 trucks, 18 uh, of which uh, carried um, uh, mostly medical supplies. And I believe the remainder, uh, too, had, um, had, uh, had food. And then we had another convoy that went through late last night. I believe that involved about 17 lorries uh, laden with humanitarian supplies. And the latest I heard is that there were 20 more uh, getting uh, ready uh, to move through. Now, I I must point out that um, these trucks now, a total of 37 that have gone through is... A, is like a drop in the ocean, given the massive requirements of the of the Gaza sector. Uh, because apparently, even during normal times, peace times in Gaza, you need uh, something to the tune of a hundred trucks a day. So it's a drop in the ocean, 
but it's obviously better than nothing. And we all pray and hope that uh, the lorries will continue to roll into Gaza to help even in a small way to alleviate the suffering of the uh, sectors 2.3 million people. So Hamza, take us back a bit uh, for our everyday listener who might not be aware or have the understanding of why the Rafah border is very important, especially for Gaza, as it's the only port for them to the outside world. Well, um, I'll have to take you back to 2007 when Hamas seized control of the Gaza Strip and threw out, um, threw out officials from the uh, from the uh, Fatah movement of the PLO out of the Strip. Uh, that triggered a blockade by both Egypt and Israel that in Syria remains uh, to this to this day. Then Egypt, starting from about 2013, began to destroy the multitude of massive tunnels dug by people in Gaza, businessmen, with the blessing of the Hamas government, so they can have uh, fuel, uh, food, everything you can imagine going, being smuggled from the Egyptian side of the border in the Sinai Peninsula and into Gaza. Uh, the importance of the Rafah crossing now, it is uh, now given the total blockade that Israel slapped on the Gaza Strip in response to Hamas's October 7 attacks on southern Israel, the Rafah border crossing is the only way out of the Gaza Strip. Uh, Egypt has three other crossings in the same region, but they're all with Israel. Uh, the Rafah crossing sometimes uh, often is shut for security reasons or administrative reasons, but at normal times, a steady flow of goods and people left Gaza Strip or went into it through this very crossing. Uh, Israel bombed, according to the Egyptians, the Gaza side of the crossing at least four times since hostilities began more than two weeks ago. Uh, now, uh, there is apparently a deal that went down is that which ties the uh, transfer of humanitarian supplies from Egypt to Gaza with the release of some of the 212 hostages being held by Hamas since October 7. And it would seem that there is that kind of swap, hostages uh, for food, water, medical supplies, and maybe also fuel. As far as we're standing right now, on Saturday we heard, you know, Egyptian President Abdel Fattah Hassisi uh, during his address at the Cairo Peace Summit um, for Gaza, uh, when he said very openly and clearly that on the Egyptian stance of allowing Palestinians into Gaza would not be a policy he would entertain, as much as uh, the stance also is unified across the Arab world. Why do you think he said that? And do you think there's pressure among Egyptians to, to change that policy? Um, it's really uh, a very basic uh, uh, policy that has been pursued by Arab states neighboring Israel for a long time now. If more Palestinians leave the West Bank and Gaza and go to Jordan and Egypt, respectively, then you are 
practically emptying the Palestinian cause of its content. There will be, as the president once said, there will be land, but no people. Now, you'll have to remember the days of the Nakba in 1948, when more than 700,000 Palestinians left what is now Israel within the borders of 1967. They left and either voluntarily because they were uh, they, they, they fled the fighting or they were forced to leave. And now, more than 70 years later, they are not, they are not allowed to go back uh, to their homes. Then in 1967, there was another mass movement of Palestinians who went to uh, Jordan from the West Bank when Israel seized the West Bank in that war. Uh, adding to the number of Palestinians that, had, that were already uh, in Jordan. If Egypt allows the Palestinians of the Gaza Strip to come into Sinai, uh, then you are basically producing another Nakba. Well, of course, it, it, sounds, it sounds, on the face of it, inhumane. Why would you let 2.3 million people endure this relentless, devastating bombardment. Uh, why do you let them suffer it when you can actually let them into Sinai? Well, if they do come into Sinai, and Egypt, for example, hosts them in refugee camps until the Israeli operation, military operation is done, do you really think that they would be allowed back? I personally doubt it very much, and almost every single Egyptian uh, or Arab doubt that they would be allowed back because Gaza would be much less troublesome for the Israelis if, it's, uh, if let's say, it loses two-thirds of its population. It would be possibly annexed by the Israelis if there are no Palestinians left in Gaza. So yes, while it sounds uh, almost inhumane that we are we are letting the Palestinians uh, stay put on the receiving end of Israeli bombardment on the long term you're actually you're actually saving or preventing the ultimate death of a cause that every single Arab feels very strongly about Palestinians have to stay put and I guess the people who actually die in Gaza as a result of the air bombardment, they're not being killed by the Egyptian government for refusing them access to Sinai. They're being killed by the Israelis. In the meantime, Egypt seems to be doing everything it can without much success or headway uh, this far to, to, to stop the fighting as it did in 2021 and in 2014 and uh, other previous rounds of uh, hostilities between Hamas and Israel. It's a, it's a tough one, but I don't think the Palestinians of Gaza themselves, or at least the, the overwhelming majority of the Palestinians in Gaza, want to leave their home and come to Egypt and live like refugees in, uh, in camps. So that's where things stand. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you. It's it's nothing to do with an Egyptian domestic policy of it not being able to, you know, do what Lebanon does, for example, for Syrian refugees. But it is more so on, you know, to avoid the annexation of Gaza because, yes, if, say, half of the two, two million Gazans leave their land, the feeling in the Arab world is that 
they wouldn't be allowed back in or the possibility of them going back to their homes, whatever is left would be very close to impossible maybe, right? Exactly, yes. Hamza, I just want to pivot now and ask, you know, to the present day, it took the whole process, two weeks of war before, you know, we saw the first movements of the Rafah border opening, at least from the Egypt side, to allow the trucks to go in. Earlier on Friday, there was assurances from Blinken, who after his, you know, um, regional tour, that there was assurances that it would have opened on Friday. But then we saw the delay. Again, Israelis struck the, the crossing four times, so they needed time to fix the roads. You know, now the latest line we're hearing from uh, Joe Biden, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, they affirmed in the call that there would be a continued flow of this critical assistance into Gaza through the Rafah border. Do you think that's going to be feasible, um, given how much we've seen diplomacy work so hard to even get these 37 trucks to cross? Israel lost about 1,400 people, including women and children, in the Hamas-led attacks of October 7. And that triggered an outpouring of sympathy and support for Israel that had not been from the West, that had not been seen in decades. And at the same time, the Arabs, all of them complained, or most of them at least, complained that the deaths of more than 4,000 Palestinians now since the area bombardment began uh, also on October 7, does not match the outpouring of support and sympathy Israel received when it lost 1,400 uh, of its people. So while I think the West reacted proportionately to the death of the Israelis on October 7, the West, including the U.S., of course, seemed to be almost oblivious to the mass deaths in Gaza as a result of the bombardment. But now slowly we're we're getting to a point where the support of Israel and the sympathy with Israel from the West is being... I won't say matched, but there's growing support for the idea that you know humanitarian assistance must get to the Palestinians of Gaza for help. Them. Having said that, no one seems to be calling for a ceasefire. And the West and the United States seem to think that killing so many people in Gaza, because they're mostly children and women, is falls within Israel's right of self-defense. But let me just sum this up by saying that, yes, what President Joe Biden said about the need to send humanitarian assistance to Gaza on a regular basis, day in and day out, while we can applaud that, because I, I think what the... Uh, what the Gazans need is a ceasefire to stop the killing and the destruction. We're talking about entire neighborhoods that have been vaporized. We're talking about hostels being bombed, private homes, all in the in the name of annihilating uh, Hamas. And one must wonder how many Hamas active Hamas fighters, leaders, operatives are really. Uh, among the 4,000 plus Palestinians who've already been killed in Gaza. So, um, so allowing humanitarian assistance 
into Gaza, small as it might be, uh, is something that we should welcome. It's, we're, we're talking about the principle of something better than nothing at this point. Thank you, Hamza. And that's it for today. For more information on what's happening in Gaza and Israel, follow our coverage at thenationalnews.com. This episode was produced by Dua Farid, Phil Green, and Arthur Edison. I'm your host, Ismail Na'ar. If you want to get every episode of Beyond the Headlines as soon as it's released, hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app.